Hey, security peeps, we are back with another edition of Breaking LinkedIn with Breaking Into Cybersecurity in Hacker Valley Studio. I am here. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter. We are in episode 11, which is crazy. Um, and I'm here with two phenomenal co-hosts. First, my Chris, the only Chris for today. How <laughs> 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 the people, Chris? <laughs> And Ron Eddings, who Hello. is holding down the fort for Hacker Valley Studio today. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Or afternoon. <laughs> Actually, it's even morning on the East Coast. Well, I guess depending where folks are, it could be afternoon. Right. Um, so we are here, and the topic that came in, we... Um, Unfortunately, Chris is not with us. Chris Cochran is busy taking over the world. He's not with us today. Um, we already have some good folks coming in. Hello to Cebu and hello to Terrence. Um, but our topic for today is really focused on why job descriptions, especially for entry level people, are so asked for so much experience. And this comes up, I mean, this is like, a topic every daily. It comes to us very often. Gary, our, our guest from yesterday, he got a crazy job description um, that he shared around LinkedIn. I saw that one yesterday. And so that is the the number one question. I could answer it myself, but I'm going to give it, sh share it with you two first. <laughs> and let me know your thoughts in terms of why you think these job descriptions are asking for so much for these entry-level roles. Um, I could go first. I could, one of the reasons is typically they're looking to backfill someone. So they're looking to fill someone with the roles with the skills and competencies of the person leaving. The problem is the person that's leaving has likely been there two to three years since they joined. So they're no longer at an entry level position. Um, the second is laziness on the part of either the hiring manager and or those fulfilling the requirements or they're just going to copy and paste something that's already out on the internet and that's just perpetuating the cycle of ridiculous requirements and just keeping it going. I 100% agree, especially with the last part. Um, <laughs> I've worked with several recruiters that have helped me create recs and they'll have a template already. And then, you know, if you don't put a lot of time and effort into it, you might end up just modifying something that wasn't good in the first place. You just add on some extra pieces that you thought would also be helpful if you were to find a certain person of that specific background. Um, but yeah, I think that as hiring managers, as recruiters, uh, there's the collaboration is getting better. I think the requirements are becoming more and more reasonable, but I think there needs to be a tighter, a tighter bond between the two and the two need to spend, especially the hiring manager, need to spend more time on being realistic if they want entry level. Like, what are the real requirements? Maybe it's a degree. Maybe it's certifications. Maybe it's the fact that they've done a GitHub project. That could be also something pretty advantageous for a hiring manager. So I think uh, that's typically what I see from my side. You are both correct. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I don't have anything else to add. The, 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 it's, it, it is, it's a combination of all these different things. On top of that, um, 
what's really, really sad is when, you know, a manager is asking for, or they, they either are not double checking what they kicked over to HR or whatever HR template is, is out there. Um, because that's when you really struggle. You, you'll see job descriptions that have all kinds of random things in them. And you're, you're, a candidate is looking at it like, I don't even know what this means. I don't know what this is. How is this entry level? You're asking for two years experience with a CISSP, um, which Tyrone made a comment about already that I'm about to put up. But it's just absolutely ridiculous when it comes to the combination. Um, the one thing I would add on a recruiter side is that depending on the size of the company, so, you know, Chris is working for Grimm, that's a cyber company, and I'm in there. So, and then, and then um, Ron <laughs> is working for Palo Alto, which is a huge company, and they have technical recruiters and cybersecurity recruiters. And so, very, very, you know, people who understand what it is to have these technical you know technical types of roles out there but if you're in a in an organization where you're like a recruiter of one or you're a team of one and you know one of your many roles so you're hiring for marketing um, a project manager some other category you're hiring things and oh by the way there's this cybersecurity wreck they don't even have any idea that a CISSP should not be on this. They'd have no idea. Like they're just pulling stuff. And if a manager isn't really focused, that's how you get, I think, some of these wrecks that are posted that are just complete contradictions um, of what the, the person is really looking for. So I think another huge issue on that same note is once you look at those requirements, you might see specific keywords and whatnot that are on the job description that aren't really a part or required for that specific position. And you get into you get into that gig and you'll be like, hey, I was applying for all of this. There was some things about red teaming. There was something about vulnerability testing or vulnerability assessments. And that's not even really a part of the job. Those are just features that the hiring manager wants to see. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing about using a template that can be on the dangerous side is as our culture evolves, your your job descriptions may be biased, your job descriptions may be um, targeting male versus female just based on the wording. And if you're not paying attention to that, you'll be screening out candidates that are picking up on those and would not even apply because of that. That's Ryan's point. You know, not only asking for experience, even the wording of descriptions can be intimidating. We're trying to bring in non-traditional outsiders and we fill the JD with intimidating jargon. My question, who is responsible for fixing this? I would say everyone, the recruiter, the manager, um, pass it internally to, to those from different backgrounds, have them reread the job description, have them give a, um, give their feedback because individuals from different backgrounds are likely to pick up on those cues. I, I would agree. I think everyone responsible that's in that process, um, there needs to be someone driving, creating those requirements and there needs to be someone also or multiple parties reviewing it. Um, far too many times when I was a team lead, I wasn't ever involved in creating the requirements for 
um, the positions, which is kind of a, a sad thing because I'm also the one training all the new people, letting them know how to do their job or how to kind of gain the skills to be as effective as possible. Um, but I wasn't as part of I wasn't a part of creating the job descriptions often. Yeah. And that happens too. That, that that tends to happen. You know, you have somebody else creating all these job descriptions and then you're just given this template at the end or you're given something or you're given candidates and you're like, where'd these candidates even come from? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this doesn't align to what I really need. Yeah. Tyrone says everybody knows an entry level requires a CISSP. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. <laughs> I have a question for you, Renee. Um, how does a super recruiter get the experience to be able to effectively screen the candidates? I think maybe you're a little biased because you used to be an analyst, but for you and all the other recruiters that you work with, how do you guys get the expertise to find the right type of talent for these positions? Shameless plug, read my book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll even give it away for free because I want everyone to have this information magnetichiring.com slash book freebie. Um, Get it, get it, it, cybersecurity folks, recruiters. Um, (laughs) So many different pieces. I mean, it was truly trial by error. Like I was, it was, it was, I was in the fire, so to speak, um, and had to gain this expertise. And so one of the things that I think ended up being successful for me is I partnered really, really closely with the cybersecurity team and asked them, hey, what does this mean? I, the running, I, I have a funny, funny, what, what always, what I always remember is I would call incident response, incidents response. I was like, okay, so what's this incidents response stuff? <laughs> <And everyone's> like, <"What?" laughs> Cause I had no idea. I mean, it literally was like reading another language and I was a tech recruiter. I mean, I've been recruiting tech for 10 years and then I see this and I'm like, what is this? I don't understand <laughs> any of this. I don't understand the resumes. Like none of this is like, what, what is, does any of this stuff mean? And so my, um, he ended up being the CISO and a person I eventually started working for. But at the time, um, Larry Sobers, he sat down and I had another person, Eric Leibowitz, they sat down with me and they said, okay, this is what this means. This is what this means. You know, this is what a GRC resume looks like, what we're looking for. And they kind of like, like I'm fired be able to understand what's going on. And that's how I was really able to any of the recruiters out there can easily get on the phone. One another great, great way to learn about any new skill, because the skills they just change so often, is when you're talking to candidates. Like I have them explain to me, what is that? What does that mean? You know, like what are you doing when you say you do X or Y? Mm-hmm. And when they start, they really, really start to dig into what they do and then you can kind of it's like related to something that that is normal you know not normal so to speak but like non-technical and people tend to be able to like describe okay okay like if you're cooking a meal or if you're doing this or you know like these different analogies and then you can say oh well that's what this means or oh you know if you're looking for a socket oh it was a help you know if you're on a help desk and you're doing this thing oh that's how this translates 
So interviewing um, definitely helps and really just trying to learn more about what people are doing on a day-to-day basis by talking to the candidates. That's like the fastest yep. way to learn. And I think Ryan's comment really points that out about using the young candidates, using the the interns, but I'll let, I'll let, I'll let us get to that in a second. <laughs> so junior pen test roles. Sabarish says, does junior pen test roles mainly focus on web app attacks? I would say it really depends on the company. Um, If you have a company that's focused on web applications, yes. But um, you could have companies that focus on physical pen tests and all sorts of different pen tests. So it depends on the organization. Yeah. So Ryan's comment, why aren't you using existing newcomers and interns to write them they would know what to write use the kids some of the problems with that i mean in in my humble opinion is that um they might not be aware of everything in the role that needs to be done they they might just be aware of what they're being asked to be what, what they're asking to get done or what they have done because you're comfortable doing it. There could be other aspects of the role which the manager has not asked them to do because they are aware of their skills and competencies and do not want them to fail. So they haven't tasked them with those assignments, but there could be other aspects of the role which they might not be aware of. I think a lot of people don't know how to use interns the right way. Interns are highly effective, they're highly motivated. Um, especially if they're a full-time intern, man, I I definitely agree. I think that even though they might not know about the role, you can send them to interview each team member one-on-one and say, you know, I want you to go and shadow them for a day, see what tools they're using, see how they're using them, ask them about it, learn on, learn on the job. And then once you get done, go write these, go give a first stab at writing these requirements. Yeah. Totally. Tyrone says, there is little follow through and communication between the hiring manager and the HR personnel responsible for writing and posting of the job. However, those seeking entry level positions should not let that deter them from applying, especially if it says entry level. Yes. What's the the old adage? If you if you can qualify for at least 60 percent of the role, go ahead and apply. it because these job descriptions are just so i mean you look at them and you're like what do you want um and even within recruiters i mean we were chatting about this yesterday um in regards to just open positions that are out there and it's just like is that really what they want and the recruiter that i was talking to said no that's not what (laughs) it's not really what they want and we're two recruiters talking about it i'm like what do they want (laughs) So it's, it's, yeah, that's bad. That's really, really bad. And he's like, yeah, these job descriptions are a mess. So, you know, it's just so unfortunate. So many on so many different levels. And and it doesn't just stop at the entry level roles. I I think once you go up the levels, you might even have roles or job descriptions that incorporate two or three different roles because they're the companies are looking to cut back on overhead, cut back on the number of employees. So they're now combining the roles together and giving it more of a general um, title where they're having more expectations from them, but it's really two or three different positions all combined into one. That is so, so yep. valid. 
that happens all the time where it's a bunch of different positions meshed together and you're like what is this and the people <laughs> who don't <laughs> the, the hr person has no clue whatsoever the candidates are looking at it like they're looking for three people and if, if it tends to be if the candidate is um uh, most likely women tend to do this more. And Sarah was talking about this the other day, Sarah, our leadership uh, coach that comes on on Tuesdays, she was saying, you know, uh, a man will look at a job description and to your point, 60% of it, boom, I'm good. Woman looks at it, one thing is missing, like, no, I'm not qualified. So, you know, and if a manager is putting all these things in there saying, oh, I want this or this and maybe that and some of this, it's just like, you're you're really looking for three people mm -hmm. in this one role and you're turning off everybody because either the people who know people who are really really qualified are looking at it like this is too much they're looking for three people the people that um may be qualified um uh you know don't want it don't want to deal with that and then the, the other people are just completely confused it's just confusing everybody and who would want to um, take a job like that if there's all these requirements? Like now, are you going to be worried going to work? Are you going to lose your job because you only have 60% of the skills? You're set up for failure. You're That's right. what, the, you know, people that see those kinds of wrecks, I've been on the other side of them where people are like, nope, I'm not, no, I'm not putting myself in this. I, yeah. What do they want? This is too much. This is, this is three jobs. Right. I, I, I've had those conversations and in interviews. I'm like, this position's calling for three different roles. And, they, the hiring manager would say, well, this is why. And I go, okay, well, I'm I'm qualified for one of these and this is the area that I wanna focus on. These other two areas I'm not qualified in, so I, I don't think I'd be a good fit for this role. And I would just end it right there because if the expectations are there when you're interviewing to truly want someone with those varied backgrounds, you're not going to set yourself up for success. And they self set people like you, people who know, will self-select out. And I think the takeaway for that is like to the manager who's trying to get a little bit of everything, you're, you'll get nothing because people are going to, the people that you're really trying to attract are going to self-select out. The entry-level people don't even know. I mean, they'll apply, but they <laughs> they don't they don't know that it's a trap. It's a trap door. <laughs> they'll apply. You won't want them anyway because they won't have half the skills that you're looking for. Oh man, Rolanda says happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth, Rolanda. Yes. Hey, yes. yes. <laughs> we gotta get her um, on. <laughs> that's right. We gotta get you on here. Um Chuck Kellner says looking for three people or looking for a unicorn. That is the truth. What are your thoughts um, on unicorns? <sighs> unicorns are three people in one. <laughs> Where are they? Can you get one? <laughs> you ever found one? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you find someone that feels that you're a unicorn, they're going to be so hard to work with that. Do you really want them on your team? Yeah. Yep. I mean, and, and anyone, anyone with that drive, you know, can learn a lot. So I, if I had a unicorn, they're not leaving my team. I'm going to make sure that, you know, they stay. And if they do find another job, it's not going to be through applying through the job boards. It's going to be, uh, you know, probably because of their personal connections. So I, I think on the recs, definitely not. I, I don't think those are good places to look for for unicorns. No. Yeah. Chuck said it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> it's crazy. 
Yeah, it's just, it's wasting. The thing is, like, I think they think in their head sometimes that they want, they, you know, I put all of this out here and somebody is going to want some, you know, like somebody will be attracted to it. And it's kind of like when you're marketing anything, right? You can't, everything isn't for everybody. So if you're talking about, you know, whatever, something that you want to market out there, and especially hiring in a cybersecurity world, non-entry level. So if you're looking for people who are above entry level, it's purely marketing because all of you folks are gainfully employed. And if you're not employed, it's for like two weeks or because you don't want to be. <laughs> but most of the time, folks are employed. So like when you're putting together, when someone's putting together a, market, a, a, um, a job description, it is truly a marketing um, slick. It's something saying, hey, this is why you should leave your comfy team over here and come over and do something with me over here. And these are the reasons why. And when it's crazy looking and it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm looking for a, you know, I'm looking for a unicorn, so to speak, or I'm looking for three different roles or whatever. People like you guys who are already in positions are like, why in God's name would I go over and even entertain something like this? Because either they don't have the budget and they're looking to overwork you, they mm -hmm. don't understand what any of this means. Because if you did, you would know, like, these are three different people, you know, all of that. Um, so, and, and I commented on a, a thread on the other side of the equation now, um, a hiring manager asking on Twitter, do they go for someone that is a unicorn slash rock star? Um, or do they go for someone that's solid but has lots of potential? And m my point of view is that you always go for the person with potential because they have so much room to grow that they will they can overshine in different ways that you didn't expect. Whereas when you look at the rock star slash unicorn, you know everything that they have and they they, they might not grow any much any more while in the role. Whereas a per person with more potential, um, they, they can they can shoot up and become that rock star and provide even more that you weren't aware that they had, um, that they were capable of. Yep. Yep. So true. So Zelaya is the one making this comment that says, um, absolutely, they have the unicorn mentality when looking for potential employees. Um, and then <laughs> Mary, she is funny. Mary's like, no, here we go. Mary says, just hire me. We're we working on it, Mary. <laughs> what? You're Mary, working, you're supposed to be hit here. me up too, you're Mary. Supposed to, <laughs> you're supposed to be here on the podcast, Mary. We were just thinking like we didn't know Chris was gonna dip off on us. Slacker though, he, he's busy. He's he's really really busy saving the world. But we, we thought we were like Mary should be here. Um, okay, so. Chuck says they want CISSP and certified forensic discipline and will manage and build the staff. And, oh, we'll watch the perimeter all day long. And execute <laughs> exactly. Everything. Everybody all together. You know, the it whole It sounds night. like fun until you realize how much work that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, ooh, 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 to somebody brand new. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'll do everything. <laughs> <laughs> the other downside to that is that you won't find someone that's typically very in-depth with all those skills. They, right. they might have an overview of all those skills, but if you're expecting them to deliver the depth of expertise that you would have with a individual focused in that area, you, you're wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. 
So China says in the quote unquote required skills list, and you only have 60%, you may not even have the quote skill that they really want out of that 60% that you have. <laughs> it's so sad. It is so sad. China, you're so right. It's so, it's, yep. it, it's like, on the one hand, it's so frustrating. Like Chris and I, you know, the reason why we stood this whole thing up is because of situations like this, right? So breaking into cybersecurity was a bunch of people reaching out. How do we get in? Can you be our mentor? Things like that. And we were like, are you kidding me? I personally was just shocked that people weren't breaking in, especially people with degrees, people had masters, things like that. And then you know, they sent me a job description. I was like, what is this? Like an entry level person is zero to two years um, with a college degree or some certs or something like that's it. It's not a whole rigmarole of a litany of um, skills because that is not entry level, like call it what it is. So to see some of these roles out here that are posted, um, you know, it's funny when, you know, we could laugh at it a little bit, but it's just really, really sad because it's very, very frustrating. Um, and you said it, making it, yep. uh, she's right. So frustrating to have, to be trying to break in, to have gone to school, to go to get the degree, to do all these things that everyone tells you to do. And then you step out and you start looking. And when you put, you know, you're looking at these job specs and they're just ridiculous. They're all over the yeah. place. They say entry level and they're not, you know, you learn that there's not really, then people tell you, well, there's no real cybersecurity entry level jobs. It's like, well, then what, what am I doing? <laughs> Why did I spend this money in this time on this master's? Mm -hmm. It's just so, so frustrating for people. Um, and I think that there is such an opportunity. Um, and if I had thought about this sooner, I would have invited, there's a lady, she's a CISO and she writes, she wrote a, a really good post um, a couple of weeks ago. And her comment was, um, uh, there's so much entry level work that can be done you know, she as a CISO, it's like, there's so much entry-level work that can be done. What do you mean there's no entry-level position? She's like, there's so much tactical work, stuff that you could just, you know, hand off to a junior person mm -hmm. to get their feet wet in the industry. You know, every company is not going to have a SOC for a SOC analyst or a SOC analyst. A SOC role might be, you know, now... Um, international or whatever. So like if you're specifically probably in the US or the UK, you're trying to break in, it's just like, you know, initially the stock analyst role used to be one of those kind of entry level roles. Um, but there's so many things that can be done that you can break down and give to a person. And so my question to her was, um, what do you think the challenge is? You know, like why are these quote entry level positions, you know, asking for CISSPs and 10 years of experience and all this other foolishness? And so, um, <laughs> and not saying to her, but just in general, like it's ridiculous. Yeah. So she, um, and I said, do you think it's a budget thing? Do you think it's a, um, by a budget meaning, okay, I can't hire, I only have a budget of 150,000, whatever the number is. So I have to get the best one person that I can get versus divvying that job into three entry-level jobs, breaking these roles down and saying, okay, let's take this piece off to the unicorn effect. Okay, let's get, you know, this person, we need a person that could be a little bit more junior in this space, a little, we need someone a little bit more senior in this space and break that one job into maybe three or four jobs, which would give an opportunity to someone that's more junior. Mm -hmm. Or does she think that, you know, people just don't have time? So I'm a CISO, I'm running around, I have, have like, like 
time is that the show there were all these you know I, I said budget time and um what the other one was but i, I said you, you know what do you think it is and she said she thought it was a combination of all three yeah i, I agree i mean there's the there's the resources needed internally to onboard, to manage, to guide junior resources, because that, that is a requirement of an entry level slash junior resource is that you need to be able to provide them with a little extra guidance, um, a, a guardrails, assistance, and that takes time, whether that is from medium to senior level staff or from management, it, it does require a little more overhead but that little overhead could reap you a lot more in return on investment for that individual. So you don't look at the short run, look at the long run. Yep. Yeah. Um, some more comments coming in. So Chuck, do you think it's oversight on the part of the business that they don't understand the work to be done? How does a manager legitimately get the right JD drafted if it is for a new position or a growing need? Such a good point. Uh, yeah, they do have to understand the business. I mean, they have to understand the business, they have to understand their department and what the needs of the department is. Because if you're growing a new role, they should understand what that role is intended to fill because they're the one looking to fill it. Um, it's not likely that a manager will say, oh, I need this new position and not know what needs that that position is looking to fill. If they have a gap in their team, the, the role will fill those gaps. Use that gap to write your job description. Yeah. yeah. You definitely have to understand the gaps first. And... It's a lot easier to plan to get the right person when you truly understand it. I was just watching a video about uh, the first thing that you do for like network security or infrastructure security is visibility. I think the same for understanding what kind of person you need. You need to understand the resources that you have, the resources that the organization needs. Like what is the the weakness? Like what skill do we not have or what skill do we want to train someone to get really good at? I think um, that visibility is really helpful. Yeah. And, and the uh, foresight to what the market is going to be demanding in the next three to five years, if you have that, you can plan to get there ahead of time. Yep. So George says, seems most companies are unwilling to let eager cybersecurity enthusiasts get, get their feet wet despite having a degree. Um, George, I'm with you. There is a very, I mean, the reason why we stood this thing up, this breaking into cybersecurity is because of this. This is all Chris and I heard for a year um, and continue to hear, you know, um, and it seems like it's even it's getting worse, which is bizarre to me um, because in a year you could have had someone that's completely green. Now they have a year experience. If you brought them in a year ago, you bring them mm -hmm. in as interns and you grow that, um, that community of people to get them ready. Like this has been done in so many different industries and it's bizarre to me as to why, you know, there's all these questions around how to get it done. Like we did, they, you do it in the military all day long. Did it back when uh, women going into accounting, when, you know, you talk about diversity, things like that. In the seventies, there were no women in accounting or less women. How do we bring people in? How do you train them up and you send them to accounting school, <laughs> like everything else and you bring them entry level and all of this it's the same process. So it fascinates me to know 
end when I see in 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 a, in a in not a good way that all of these people are out here getting degrees, um, and either the degree programs aren't setting them up for success or something. Because to me, if you're going for this thing and at the end you cannot get an opportunity, then it's a, everyone's failing. I have a question for Chris. Um, I okay. work with a lot of. Uh, seasoned security practitioners and also a lot of interns. And I, I truly believe in the junior members of the cybersecurity team, especially the ones that have college degrees, because they can often code. But a lot of the more seasoned practitioners I work with, they're afraid to make changes because they don't want anything to break. Do you think that that has anything to do with managers and organizations not letting the team members, especially the junior ones, get their team their feet wet? Um. Yes, it, it could be that it could be a um, a factor of overemphasizing on the possible risk without having any controls. Um, and that's where things like cyber ranges and test environments and things like that come into play, because if you don't have that, you probably should. Um, you shouldn't be treating your production um, as your test environment. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and that's where they run into those issues. Uh, you should have a test environment where um, individuals can, you can set your interns free in that environment, have them create the code, have them um, innovate, because you, you can't get innovation without testing. Um, mm -hmm. And you will see them flourish in those types of environments. So Gary, our friend to the show, says, basically, you see IT job descriptions that have been stripped down and cyber buzzwords have been added. <laughs> Very rarely do you see a job description written from scratch that matches the skill sets needed for the org's current security stack and procedures. Amen. Hallelujah. True indeed. So um, how can a community educate the organizations to write up a coherent job description? Well, um, NICE and NIST have been working on creating general job descriptions, um, knowledge categories that are needed for some of these job descriptions and skills assessment as well. So we can work with those organizations to standardize those job descriptions or um, create our own within a community standard. But if you already have something that's created, work to make that um, more true to what the environment is if it's not and standardize that across the board. And Gary answers her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Gary asks about um, writing those job descriptions and Rex should have the director of security slash CISO sit down with HR and educate them on how to do it correctly. And when done, they should reduce the um, turnover and recruit the correct talent. Unfortunately, this is rarely done. And I, I would say that's spot on because you have these CISOs or directors that are quote unquote too busy to sit down with HR to do that. They they feel they're already overburdened with all their responsibilities that are handed down from the C-levels that they feel that they don't, this task is beneath them and they don't see that as a valuable use of their time. And that's, that's part of um, the inherent flaw within these job descriptions. Thinking is hard. It's hard to think <laughs> through these requirements. It's like, what do I really need? I think 
it's almost like creating a one to three year plan for yourself. Like if you did that, if you do that for your life, it's extremely difficult. If you do that for your job, it might be even harder, but it is so valuable because that's uh, like a non-technical thing you can do and it goes so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so true. Um, Gary's so right. Like I said, that's how I learned, you know, sat down with the folks, understood, break it down. What does this mm-hmm. mean? Um, and it, it just makes life so much more simple for everyone. Definitely. I mean, if you're doing this for your security program and you're doing an assessment of your security program to see where your strengths and your gaps are, why not do this for your job descriptions? Why not do this for your teams to, to see where their strengths are and then what you can do to help amplify those strengths as well as fill in the gaps that your team has so that they can be a complete package. Exactly. George says, I only hire unicorns and elves. (laughs) (laughs) George, you could be our guest co-host next week. Wait, do do the elves live up to it? (laughs) (laughs) We can't have him on because it's going to be just jokes the whole entire time. So George said, I just finished a conference. We were looking for individuals who are hungry for a job as an entry-level threat intel and SOC operator. So, folks, reach out to George. George. Any entry-level people, reach out out to George. Um, Okay. And then Zelaya, this is her comment. I wonder how, um, are they ever going to fill the cybersecurity need that is always talking about if they're not more open-minded when it comes to hiring people who have the passion, but don't necessarily meet all of the job, all of the job requirements. That's, that, that's what frustrates me. You know, that's why we're out here. You know, I personally have adopted a, a high school, Marshall High School, and one of the intern, one of the students from the school is going to be coming on and talking next week to us about, you know, learning, um, one and what he's done and what the school has done to get the internalifications. But from the leader point, you know, people have to, there has to be a point and there will be at some point where we can't sit here and sing the same song. I mean, we've been on this show for two years and this has been going on for way before that. And it just doesn't make any sense. You know, PwC, they have a cyber boot camp. They bring people in, you know, in droves from different majors, different backgrounds, get people ready, train them up, put them through. I mean, it's just training programs. Any company can do it. It's been done. It is done constantly. Why it, it hasn't, you know, taken off from a from a cyber perspective overall, I'm not sure. But. I mean, the medical field, the electrical field, they, they have um, programs to bring people in to train them up, journeyman programs where you have mm-hmm. both the education and on-the-job training. Um, cobblers have these types of apprenticeship, welders, we can do this in cybersecurity. We just have to invest that overhead needed to guide and mentor up those students as they grow. Yeah. AWS is doing it also in Northern Virginia and probably in other places as well. Um, but they are having interns at the high school level come in. Mm-hmm. They are having, um, they partner with community co- community colleges to get people, um, you know, geared up. So it looks like, you know, some of the bigger companies are, are jumping in and doing it. I think AT&T has an internal, like, cross-skill, upskill, um, an, an academy within the organization. 
um, to bring people in to, you know, cross train people who may mm-hmm. already have the experience. Um, and that was another thing that was from a, from a recruiting perspective, an HR perspective that I learned about, you know, one of the things when, when writing, writing the first book and just talking to people about how they broke into the industry, especially folks back in the day. So 10, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, whatever, how did you get into security? And it was always from some other space. Like there was no quote, there was, you know, there was a little bit of a security, you know, cybersecurity, but most people came in from some other background. Mm-hmm. admin, developer, something else, some other technical field. Um, so it, it again, it's mind boggling. Like, hey, folks that came in these other ways, this is how you got here. You were not always a cybersecurity specialist, you know, or expert. Bring up the next person. Um, but again, a combination, budgets, time, lack of time, all these different things. Um, I have a question for Ron. So what does what do big companies like Palo Alto do um, to help help with this problem? Like, how do they approach it? Well, uh, this is one of the reasons why I would love to have Rolanda on because she is kind of behind diversity and inclusion for Palo Alto Networks. And what we do is, and what I've also assisted with is going out to universities and talking to some of the you know eager students. I haven't gone as far as going to the high schools or middle schools, but I know that there's some initiatives, but it's it's outreach, um, a lot of outreach by the big companies. I think that there's still a lot that we can do um, when it comes to that, because the subset of people that we're looking at that could be talented in this space are typically the ones that have the most opportunity when they're young. But what if you don't have that opportunity? What if you still have that passion, that hope, but you've just never had the support system to really make it there. I think that's all the misfits and and whatnot, some of the representation here in the cybersecurity field in the first place. I think that uh, what we can do better is look at those that aren't in university programs. Oh, oh, definitely. Um, We've had some amazing um, individuals come on that were doing their mid-career transitions or even late-career transitions and they, with that, you bring such a, a variety of transferable skills. You bring outside knowledge, outside experience, um, the people skills that um, you can only get through time. Um, the leadership. I, just yeah, the leadership, about, yeah. Yeah, just being able to, you know, navigate some of these really political environments, knowing what to say, knowing what to write, what not mm-hmm. to write, what not to say, all of that. It's so important. It's so important. And um, I mean, Jenny, that was on our podcast yesterday, doesn't have a college degree. And she was able to, you know, she got she got in um, through a mentor. Gary says, love you guys. Happy Friday. Really stoked you're here for the community and leading the discussion. Yay. Happy Thank Friday. You, Gary. Gary. This week. Got to have um, you back. Yes. George says, in Israel, cybersecurity is very important. Uh, from in the su- a very important subject from the military to the common businesses, even in schools teach at a kindergarten level. Which, Love that. Yeah, this is what we should be doing. It should be a part of the curriculum. And I think one of the, the things that sets Israel apart is that they have it as part of their national strategy. They have it built into the schools. They have it built into the requirement for military service. 
they have it built in and it provides their country with the resources that's needed versus here it's it's still voluntary and because it's still voluntary all the way in through college i mean even in college there's no requirement for a basic computer class you still have parts of parts of the student population that don't understand computer security mm -hmm. it, it should be a requirement for everyone to at least have that foundational knowledge yeah, it, there's some things going on. I know that there's uh, my one of my mentors, Marcus Carey, is trying his best to bring more awareness to the youth about cybersecurity, what it is and opportunity that it provides. He wrote two books, uh, Thinking Code and The Three Little Hackers. Love those. Um, so for anyone that wants to teach their kids, uh, those could be some great reading materials to to look at. We should try yeah. to bring Marcus on one week. Yeah. We totally need to bring him on to talk about this stuff. Um, okay, so I know we all have to run soon. So questions or comments are coming in. We want to thank everyone for all of these awesome comments um, and for joining us during this conversation. It's making me think maybe we should do like an open forum, like a, a, a job spec um open training or something <laughs> like something where where people can you know leaders or whoever can kind of jump on and mm -hmm. walk through and maybe it be you know some kind of training for leaders and cybersecurity and hr folks um to get in and and learn about this because this is such this is this is a huge problem for on all different levels it wastes a lot yeah. of time you know when the hiring manager is confused they put it out there and the candidates are confused or the hr person is confused you know it's clearly a lot of confusion going on <laughs> so trying to figure out how you know what where the the challenge lies um I think Chris said it best, though, it's not a national concern yet at, at the level that it needs to be um, so that everyone is kind of educated. But what can we do from a purely from a job spec perspective so that it shortens the timeline to hire, gets the right people like looking at this, the role, you know, just those little bits. Maybe we maybe we do something about that. I'm feeling yeah, like I, a training is necessary. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll make that happen. All right, folks. Any last last points before we wrap? No. Uh, my my last point would be even though things are a little messed up, don't be discouraged. Go out there, get the opportunity that you want, get the 60 percent of requirements and learn the rest on the job. But don't let it discourage you and just ask for clarification whenever you reach the interview. Yep. Be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. I will wrap with that. I think that's <laughs> Alrighty, folks. We will see you again next week on another episode, episode 12. Goodness gracious, I cannot believe we are at episode <laughs> 12. That's three months of this fun stuff. Right. <laughs> hanging out with you guys. Oh, wow. Uh, so next Friday, we will see you and have a wonderful week and happy Father's Day to you. Yes. Well, Ron, well, Ron has a dad. Chris, <laughs> all the guys out here. Happy Father's Day, Chris. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. All right, folks. See everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.